governments are as big as they come literally they just pass a law and that is that there's no negotiation there's no let's let's talk about this whereas you would have a bit more flexibility either on the b2c space or the b2b space you have two businesses who are on the same level who would say i wish to consume i wish to utilize this service from you and in exchange you will pay me through this being a b2b means we cannot interact directly with the customer so with us we leverage on our partners and then we come up with a, a way in which we can work together to then engage with their uh, customers and this could be um in trying to to figure out what problem we are solving for their customer and then how we can help the businesses and um and um their internal structure how how we can help them solve for their customers needs Most of the time the majority of small growing businesses are at the very tail end of the consumer experience How many of us have wondered about the people behind the scenes, the ones who supply the businesses where we get our favorite things from? Like that freshly made cup of energy-boosting coffee we enjoy every morning. Ever wondered which business supplied the coffee maker? Today's episode shines a spotlight on these types of businesses under the topic building a business that sells to enterprise. In this episode, we will uncover which B2B partnership models work best for the Zambian and African landscape and why. We will also find out if meeting customers where they are found is a priority for B2Bs in Zambia in comparison to the rest of Africa. Welcome to season 2 of the Bongo Hive podcast, brought to you by Bongo Hive in partnership with the International Trade Center's Fast Track Tech Africa initiative. I'm your host, Maretta Lindunda. This season was recorded during the time of COVID, and in all cases, care was taken to social distance or record the show remotely. Our first guest today is Chinedu Kogu from ProBase Limited. ProBase provides outsourced ICT expertise services to other businesses. So Chinedu, what is ProBase and how did it end up as a three-tier business model that encompasses B2B, B2C and B2G? Uh largely if I was to tell a different story it would be that we sort of stumbled into a niche quite by chance and the way that went about was somewhere between um between 2010 and 2012 the government then had uh, especially through ZRA had made a push towards tax collections as a mandate so they had uh, a statutory instrument that was issued and then uh Zedari had the idea of working with banks as collection partners now the banks uh this was basically new terrain to them they had not done anything fairly similar where the government had approached them for requirement for services like that and they were not quite sure the approach of you know um how does this sit within their enterprise because the the bank traditionally provides uh services that are basically finance facing this was something totally new so how does it sit what sort of uh ar- architecture would we adopt how would we go about solving that particular problem and uh, probase apparently uh took it upon itself to say okay um yes we don't have any experience so far but since no one has any experience nonetheless we might as well see whether we can take up that challenge So that was our first entry point uh, and it was as you said B2G uh, in this case although in this case um 
the business was the bank and then the government was who they were providing the services for. But the consumers of the tax payment services were citizens, um, 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 accounting bodies, uh, tax clearance, um, um, what do they call them, import, export agents and the likes, yeah. For more perspective about where Probe stands as a business, we asked Chinadu to break down the definitions of the different business models, B2C, B2B and B2G. B2C, for instance, is a business to consumer. So a typical e-commerce website would sit in the B2C space. Uh, you are representing businesses and you are selling to the end consumer in this case. Uh, B2B is business to business, which is basically two businesses um, um, transacting. Whatever the transaction is, is open to what one business is selling to the other or, or vice versa. And then, of course, B2G speaks for itself um, as business to government, uh, things like uh, pension contributions, tax collections, uh, national health uh, insurance collections and the likes. Chinadu further asserted that every business model comes with opportunities and limitations. For the government, typically, I mean, governments are as big as they come, uh, literally. They just pass a law and that is that. There's no negotiation. There's no, let's let's talk about this. Whereas you would have a bit more flexibility either on the B2C space or the B2B space. You have two businesses who are on the same level who would say, I wish to consume, I wish to utilize this service from you and in exchange, you will pay me through this. It also helps with things like uh, the process flows because the convolution that comes from paperwork or bureaucracy. So uh, to speak to your point, for instance, you have a payment cycle that is very loosely adhered to. So some organizations will say, for instance, we have a 30-day window for payments. We have a 45-day window for 60 or 90 days. Depends on the type. The more manual it is, then the more cumbersome it is to meet those deadlines because you're processing people, you're passing files or papers from one desk to the other. If you automated that, you'd cut through a lot of um, the hassles and also improve the turnaround and efficiencies. And then, of course, if you add in things like um, uh, payment capabilities and flexibility of payments or the ability to process part payments where balance is still obviously open to you, then again, you, you create a flexibility where everybody knows uh, at what stage the payment is, uh, is it a part payment, when is the balance due, you know, and then where did the payment come from? He also addressed some of the challenges that each business model presents. I was to dwell a bit more, it would be on the following strengths. Each one of these sections, B2C, B2B, B2G, there are even some that are a bit complicated where you have like a B2C, um, C2G. It's whole all within that stream um, is that the type of customers you are dealing with will determine um, the approach you'd use. For typically with government, government gives you a set of parameters you must adhere to. They necessarily haven't worked out all the kinks it will basically be a learn-as-you-go approach and because it's a government you really don't have too much room to correct uh, so they would see it for themselves uh, after some time and then they would feedback b2b is more straightforward you have two businesses who are simply saying i wish to improve the flow they are on the same level so you'll find that engagements be between them are a bit more streamlined 
they are obviously acting from the basis of a contract that they have jointly negotiated. So it makes it easy. And then when you're building for that requirement, it's very specific and clear. And you know the problem you're solving for. Uh, B2C is uh, also, depending on how you look at it, is both simple and hard because the customer's requirements will always change. So once you've given the customer a baseline, uh, what you find out is the customer comes back tomorrow and says, why can't you add this feature? By now, you should be doing this because XYZ is doing that. So you, you are also on the basis of a lot of innovation that you must do to keep your platform ahead and to keep it um, easy and simple to use. The aim of technology is not to further complicate a process that was meant to be simplified. Considering that we are living amidst a global pandemic, Chinadu said that it hasn't been all gloom for the business sector in Zambia. Especially the tech industry, which has seen more opportunities for growth and innovation shoot up as a response to COVID-19. So while Probis could be a specific example, I can tell you from experience that there are a lot more tech companies that are springing up. Uh, I don't mean this in an entirely bad way, but COVID was good. Uh, yes, it was really nice. I, I have to admit that I've never seen the amount of, uh, call it innovation and call it uh, tech savviness evolve in such a short period of time. This was something that we would argue would take years to achieve. And just in less than nine months, everybody's literally doing Zoom, you know, um, just at the back of your hand. Kids are basically doing Microsoft Meets, Zoom, uh, Google Meet and the like. So that gives you an idea that this is basically the best, um, not necessarily that you are happy with what happened, but it forces us to adapt more rapidly than we would have if we felt, oh, no, just take your time. We can do this over a five-year stretch. But meanwhile, in that five-year stretch, you have companies that are and countries that are evolving so rapidly that you are even extending the time it takes you. So for companies that have managed, and I can give so many examples, um, Afri Delivery, for instance, fantastic. They just took off um, right there and then. I've seen also a couple of new entrants that are also providing services that are online. Um, Probis has uh, an e-commerce uh, storefront called find.co.zm. It also has taken off, of, of course, as a result of COVID. And to give you a bit of an idea, we'd built our e-commerce stack maybe about three or four years ago. We never could find a market approach because you would hear such things that, no, people are not yet e-commerce savvy. Uh, no, they don't understand the process. No, there are gaps. But now everybody understands there's a logistics component, there's a payment component, there's the other fulfillment component, uh, there's a service delivery component as well. And you've seen that we've learned a lot in this very short span of time, and it can only get better. God forbid that we have to wait for another iteration of COVID for it to do that, but, you know, it can only get better from now. Now that we know what B2B, B2C and B2G business models are, we can narrow down our discussion to the point of focus, which is B2B, building a business that sells to enterprise. What does the process of selling services or products to enterprise clients look like? Is it the product or service, the business environment or the market that determines the B2B model of business? And what are some of the emerging trends in the B2B industry? 
We asked these and other questions to Chilekwa from Digital Pago, and she gave us some very illuminating answers. Before delving deeper into the discussion, let's find out what Digital Pago is all about. Uh, well, Digital Pago is a fintech started in 2019, and the idea, or rather the goal, was to bring about a shared services platform. And by shared services, I mean uh, bridging the gap between the SMEs, the small, medium enterprises, the mobile network operators, um, and the financial service providers to come up with a, a way in which we could all cooperate. And we believe in interoperability. So we're driving a shared services platform and uh, linking that uh, to be interoperable. When asked about the inspiration behind the B2B model for Digital Pago, Chileko attributed it to a need by the proprietors to respond to a demand in the market. There's uh, a drive uh, by the central bank towards uh, financial inclusion. This is the national financial inclusion strategy. And this is basically in line with um, trying to grow the digital ecosystem, right? We found a need to be able to work with other businesses to grow that digital ecosystem. How are we going to do that? We target uh, B2B uh, partnerships, right? And we believe in those partnerships, uh, there's strength in, in numbers. We have, for example, the banks that are more structured and they they have processes. And then we have the mobile network operators that I mentioned in my in introduction, where they have the numbers, they have the subscriber database, right? And then there's, there's us, the fintechs, that um, we realized if we bring a shared services uh, solution, it will then be easier for us to leap into the financial inclusion uh, strategy. So our goal was basically to help businesses grow their consumer uh, base and also drive that digital ecosystem. Without revealing too much of the internal processes involved in conducting business, she gave us a sneak peek into some of the processes that come with selling to enterprises. Being a B2B means we cannot interact directly with the customer. So with us, we leverage on our partners and then we come up with a, a way in which we can work together to then engage with their uh, customers. And this could be um, in trying to to figure out what problem we are solving for their customer and then how we can help the businesses and um and um, their internal structure, how, how we can help them solve for their customers' needs. Yeah. So um, when you marry the processes, our internal processes, the technology that we bring in, the agility uh, versus what the business processes are, we come together and then we formulate that strategy on how to deliver the promise to their customer. Chilekwa also spoke about the sales cycle for a B2B enterprise compared to other business models. With the large businesses, they have regulatory implications, right? They follow a certain processes. There's due diligence that needs to be that needs to be followed, and you talk about risk and compliance. And um, uh, there, even their their back end operations are very different from what a small uh, to medium enterprise business would be uh, focusing on. Whereas for the SME, they want um, immediate. Um, uh, action. So even um, uh, the sales strategy for that would be very different. Although they have the same goal, 
obviously to provide a service to the customer and make profit, but the way in which those uh, uh, processes are achieved is, is very, very different. So what are the limitations that come with running a B2B business? When it comes to uh, businesses like ours, like the, the fintechs, you have to obviously wait for things like licensing. And there's a reason for, for, for that, by the way. Uh, you have to wait for licensing issues and, and all that. Whereas for, um, you look at the, the corporates, the, the large uh, uh, enterprises, it's structured. They are basically, um, they are already tabulated. I, I, I feel, in my opinion, that with the fintech space, it's not so well structured, so to speak. And then we look at cybersecurity. That is the biggest issue. And with cybersecurity, um, you're looking at fraudsters, people trying to hack into your systems. You you come across companies that uh, will rather go with a smaller business or a, a fintech, right? Because they feel they can... Um, they can hack into their system better than they would with a bank. Does the process of selling to enterprise significantly differ from selling to small and medium business? If so, how? It really does uh, vary, that that um, process. You have to look at it from the needs of both the large enterprises and the small and medium uh, enterprises, right? The large enterprises are looking at strategy, long-term strategy, even uh, as we speak, they are planning their strategy for 2021, right? Uh, you can't talk about strategy without the COVID-19 story. Nobody planned for this. How has it affected the businesses? It has affected the businesses hugely, right? Then we have the SMEs. The SMEs um, look at it in terms of the now, the 30, 60, 90 day plan. What is it that I can do now? to give me the money. And then if you look at the um, large enterprises, um, they have, I think we talked about structure, right? But in that structure, they have people. So they have the people power. They have more people. Um, there's somebody in risk. There's somebody in marketing. There's somebody in finance and whatnot. Whereas the small medium enterprise is usually a one-man show, okay? So you have different people doing all these um, um uh, things in each department, whereas this business guy only has himself or his 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 employee, and so you find that because of that difference, he will have very little time to concentrate on the compliance and the risk uh, uh, around uh, security and whatnot. He will be focusing more on the the money, and that's the the now now now. And um, also with large uh, enterprises. Um, they obviously are more structured, centralized, but then that also comes with the decision-making being slower than the small enterprise who will make a decision on the WIMP. Because for him, I'll give you an example. It's basically my client, if I'm a, a small enterprise, uh, my client walks in with cash. I'm not going to think, um, oh, let, let me get a point-of-sale machine because my foot traffic determines that uh, my clients want to pay using cash. Whereas the large enterprises are thinking, oh, the latest technology, let's use mobile merchant payments, let's use uh, our app, let's do this. They're thinking long-term strategy. In 2016, the Harvard Business Review reported that the World Bank had expressed optimism about the future of B2B market activity across the African continent in the years leading to 2025. 
They attributed this projection to the improving business environment in most African countries. But what does it take to build a successful B2B that sells to enterprise in Zambia or Africa? And how does the coronavirus pandemic play into all this? We sat down with Lamine Barrow of Etudesk via Remote Connection for a thorough discussion of this topic. He gave us a brief background on how Etudesk came into existence and the services it offers. Uh, I'm a software person and I'm really passionate about education. And since I'm 12 years old, I'm learning online. So um, I've started to work with uh, local companies at the age of 16 as an IT consultant. And this is how I finance my high school and university uh, fees. And um, uh, after my bachelor in biostatistics, I started to get a lot of uh, job opportunities as a CTO, product manager, web designer, in some fields where I didn't have a degree. But at the same time, I had a lot of friends and uh, I had a lot of friends who had uh, degrees in those fields but were struggling to get even a simple internship. So it, I, I, I saw that uh, it was just a skill issue and I knew something was missing in our education system and uh, our response uh, to, to this was to create a technology uh, to empower training firms, companies, and academic institutions to provide online continuing education uh, because this format is more accessible to, in terms of cost and availability for adult learners. So, yeah, today we have uh, a platform, a learning management system uh, that we give to those uh, institutions to deploy their own online learning programs. And we also support them in instructional design to make sure they offer high-quality uh, content. And uh, today, GDEX is a, a bad startup uh, by uh, local investors. Uh, we are a nine-person team, and we're working with more than 60 uh, organizations in six uh, countries currently. Isn't that interesting? While other businesses are sinking from the challenges posed by COVID-19, Others like Etudesk are thriving and spreading their wings across borders. I have to say that uh, since the inception of the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, we had a 200% uh, growth. And this is the moment where we start to uh, provide our service to others, organizations in other countries like uh, Mali, Burkina Faso, uh, Senegal, and uh, Democratic Republic of uh, Congo. Moving away from COVID-19, Lamine revealed that the decision to set up a B2B enterprise was one that was influenced by a number of factors. The first thing I observe is the market. You know, the market is an audience of buyers. So you need to understand the purchasing power of your audience. You need to understand their purchasing habits uh, and also the size of, the, of, of that market. So basically, it's a market analysis I, I do firstly. Uh, then I define cost structures of my products, the development of my products, the team, the operations, and the quality of service I want to deliver. And when I finish that, I put all in a, in a, in a financial sheet, and I do a lot of simulation to come with uh, the best business model that makes me at least break even. 
uh, on my customer purchasing power. You know, I try to based on my customer purchasing power, I try to find the, the best uh, business model. And by simulations in the Excel sheet, for example, I mean uh, cutting charge, switching from fixed to variable cost, increasing or decreasing my fees. And I continue this work. I do a lot of iteration to till I get the, the best outcomes. So that's how I come up with uh, my business model. What led to the inclusion of a B2B component to your business model? Firstly, we, we, uh, was on, we were on the uh, B2C market, but the problem is that education market is a really complex market and a regulated market, and it's hard to get in. And uh, 99% of the, 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 this business is covered by academic institutions, so schools and universities. And uh, we didn't want to become a school, so that's why we decided to work with those schools. And, and because also we're not uh, the experts on all of the subjects uh, we're providing on our marketplace, so we decided to, to sign partnership with schools and, uh, and uh, training teams to provide their content. We help them by providing to them the technology and also the support in institutional design. And uh, we act like an OPM, online program manager. So we sell the, the training to students and uh, we take a commission. But for the B2B part, uh, as customers, uh, sometimes uh, we meet some organization who want our technologies uh, to, to, to develop their own training. For example, they use our technologies for onboarding new employees, to train the um, sales teams on their own sales strategies, and uh, all of that. So that's why we decided uh, to, to go on those markets. So because uh, for the moment, we also didn't um, uh, break even uh, on the B2C. So we used the B2B revenue to support uh, all the company's cost right now. Like our first guest today, Chinadu, who runs a three-tier business model enterprise, we asked Lamine what he thinks are the differences and similarities between a B2C and B2B enterprise from his experience operating a hybrid model. What I can say that uh, B2B, B2B is a lot of struggle because uh, whether you're talking to SMBs or big operators, uh, this is the same process. And no matter also uh, your marketing strategies uh, is digital or offline, uh, you'll need face-to-face with your customers in B2B. And uh, uh, at least you will have to, 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 to uh, organize schedules, uh, some cough call with them because they want to know whom they're giving their money to. And you'll probably do more than one meeting for B2B, uh, for demo and all. And they also need to meet sometime they see you. And um, they will never align with your business model in B2B. They will never do it you will propose a personalized quotation, they will negotiate, and sometimes it takes a lot of time before you get a purchase order. And um, what I can say also is that uh, for B2B, you need to put a high-touch customer service, which requires a lot of human interaction. Uh, That's different from the B2C, where you can provide self-serving services. But uh, in B2B, self-serving, being service uh, uh, don't work that much, especially 
in Africa. So this some uh, these are some of the differences I observed me personally on this market. Lamine also walked us through some of the successes and challenges his business has experienced operating as a B2B. And he had some advice for upcoming entrepreneurs seeking to establish themselves in the B2B space. Uh, since uh, 2018, uh, I'm proud to say that we're working with more than six organizations. And I'm talking about uh, the FDB, African Development Bank. We're working with the biggest telco, Agricos, Orange, and also the biggest bank of the country, uh, Société Générale. We're working with Jumia. We're also working with United Nations and more as customers. And uh, I'm really proud of of that because uh, with my small team, we've been able to deliver high-quality service to those big corporates. We also share some of our challenges. Um, to be honest, B2B is very difficult for young founders. I've started at uh, 21 years old, and uh, sometimes uh, it's really hard because you don't necessarily understand the corporate environment, so it's very difficult for uh, young entrepreneurs to get in uh, uh, B2B market. And uh, even if you offer a digital service, uh, most of your operation will be offline, like sales and marketing, most of the time will be offline. So those are the challenges that I face. And um, what uh, uh, advice I, can, I, I could give to entrepreneurs is uh, for the B2B market, uh, it's, it's important to raise money. It's really important, not because of the money uh, itself, but uh, you will be able to leverage your shareholders' network to get some connection with big corporates. And it also builds a, a sort of credibility when you've raised money. And uh, ATDX did it in, uh, two, in 2018. We've been able to raise a seed capital with a uh, VC, and that really helped me to um, because uh, uh, we have a more um, credibility when we were uh, going to reach a big corporate. And uh, we had a lot of support of our uh, shareholders, as I said. And um, another advice is that uh, B2B customers really like um, white label solutions. So they need a lot of uh, personalization for the service you provide to them. They also sometimes need for, if, you, if you're selling a software, they will ask you to install your services on their own infrastructure. So it's something you need to think about when you're selling to B2B. And uh, you also sometimes need to offer pilots to, to them before uh, selling something. They need some time pilot and it can take some time more than up to three, three months. So you need to have the budget, the resources to run those pilots before selling uh, your product. And uh, for expansion strategies, I also think it's really important to work with uh, resource partners. Uh, those people, uh, those organizations already have their uh, customer portfolio. You can leverage on those networks to, to sell your, uh, to sell easier your, your, your services when you're trying to expand. If there's anything we've learned from today's discussion, it's that businesses do not have to be restricted to one type of model. It is possible for a single business to operate as a B2B, B2C, and even B2G at the same time. However, 
Caution must be taken before a decision about which business model an enterprise should take, putting into consideration the market needs, the general business environment, the product or service being offered, and many other reasons we have heard from our guests. Join us in the next episode as we discuss internationalization of small growing businesses. If you are an ambitious entrepreneur looking to expand your business regionally, you definitely won't want to miss this one. This has been the Bongo High podcast brought to you in partnership with the ITC's Fast Track Tech Africa initiative. Visit www.bongohive.co.zm forward slash podcast to subscribe and listen to more episodes, which are available on all major podcasting platforms.